You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, as we near really the end of uh, this section and almost the end of this book, uh, this gospel. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And John has, as you know, turned his attention from those who were the crowds, the masses, uh, uh, around Jesus to those who were his closest followers. Jesus is in the last week of his life and he's devoting his attention to those disciples, giving instruction and encouragement and what it looks like to continue to follow Christ, to continue to grow in the faith, the belief that they now have and to be strengthened uh, toward that end. The feeling of abandonment, the fear of being alone or separated from someone, particularly here separated from Jesus, has been the issue that Jesus has been mainly dealing with for three chapters now. You'll recall at the beginning of chapter 14 that the disciples were afraid of being alone. Jesus was going away. It's a feeling that each one of us, that feeling of abandonment, Each one of us has certainly experienced to some degree or another the the abandonment or the, the feeling alone. It's no doubt the goal of Jesus to give the disciples something, some taste of what is to come and some measure of direction in how to deal with this. What do we do as the community that Jesus has called us to be? What do disciples do who once followed Jesus in a very physical way? What do they do now that He's gone? After that, the disciples would remain in the world after Jesus' departure. They would remain in the world for growth and for mission and for purpose, but they were still confused. And you're going to see in this text, Jesus brings His instruction to a close. He wants to bring a final word, an authoritative statement about the world and what will sustain the hearts of believers in a world that is supremely broken. I would say to you this morning that it's sometimes, maybe you're like me, it's sometimes difficult to reconcile the broken sinful world that we live in with the truth that God is seated on the throne. It's sometimes hard to reconcile all of the chaos and confusion and the evil in the world and the injustice in the world with the fact that Jesus is King 
and that He's sovereignly reigning. So the question at the end of this kind of series of conversation is how do you square those two things? Upon what promise or what truth do we have hope that Jesus is still on His throne? And I I, want to just caution you that you may not have the answer with the utmost of clarity yet. Do we have a God that we can trust is in control and will gain victory one day? Or do we have a God who is already victorious is the question. So let's go to John chapter 16. If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. As we look to the final few verses, beginning in verse 25 together. Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for the Word of Christ here in this passage. I thank You that You have not left us alone. That we who are in Christ, You are forever with us by Your Spirit now. And we will see You face to face one day. We are longing for that day, Jesus, when all things are made new finally and completely and perfectly. Until that day, Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to understand what it is that you are doing in the world now? Would you, would you help us to have trust for you as you lead us in this world? And may you be glorified in all that takes place in our lives. I pray that if there's one here that's never trusted in you this morning, Jesus, You would be made known as victor over all things. That today they would repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in You as Lord and Savior of their life, King of kings, and that You would show Yourself to be reigning over their life and receive glory and honor. Encourage us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
Thank you. You can be seated. This is the final portion of Jesus' words to troubled hearts. Again, if you've been with us, you remember from John 14, Jesus saying, let not your hearts be what? Troubled. These are words to troubled hearts in direct response, by the way, to Jesus seeing in the faces, in the eyes of these disciples, a trouble, a real concern and anxiety over being alone in the world. You remember Jesus said to them, little children, yet a little while I'm with you and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you where I am going, you cannot come. This was the disciples fear, the fear of being alone. And more than just addressing their fear of the unknown, which certainly would be there. They had no idea what was ultimately coming other than just hearing the words of Jesus. Jesus knew they would soon face it intimately. The pain of living as followers of Jesus while remaining in a world devastated by human sin. How do you do that? How do you come to know Christ and this hope of being restored to God and this expectation of all things being made new and yet go on living in a world where nothing seems new and everything seems broken and there seems like there is no hope. In a lot of ways, that's where we are right now, is it not? As you think about the culture that we're in, the nation that we're in, Just this week, even being reminded of the reality of deep sexual sin. Things like gender confusion and distortion. Homosexuality. Heterosexual sin. Sexual abuse, even our own convention. These things happening out in the world and even creeping their way into the church. It seems like it's everywhere. We face it everywhere we turn. It's threatening the hearts and minds of our children. It's breaking up marriages. And it's even destroying churches. It threatens the very life of the believer. And we've got to keep living as followers of Jesus in a world that's wrecked by human sin. Corruption all around us. The love of money. The love of power. Hatred of the truth. How do we continue to live as followers of Jesus when everywhere we turn, the moral compass is all but missing, if not just misguided? Where every man determines what is right in his own eyes and it's relative to each and every moment or emotion and every whim. How do you continue to live in a world that's been devastated by human sin and follow Jesus? When there's a world around us that has an outcry for justice, but it's only a mask called social justice. And yet injustice fills the land everywhere we turn. Righteousness is defined according to man's standard, not God's standard. And it's scarcely found anywhere in the days of the Old Testament. If you can find even a single righteous man, And that's hard to do in the day that we live. How do you live as a Christian 
in such a world can be incredibly overwhelming and even overcoming. And oftentimes Christians are guilty of living defeated lives as if we don't know from which our hope comes from. As if somehow we believe in a distant Sovereign God seated on the throne in control of all things, making all things new. Heaven is going to be great. And we just kind of have to batten down the hatches and hold on to the fort until Jesus comes back. But this is not the picture of the New Testament. And it's certainly not the picture of this text. So Jesus says some things to these 11 disciples. By the way, we're going to come back to these, but I want you to see them just as kind of a setup as we lean into what the main idea of the text is, the, the main argument toward the end. Verse 25, Jesus says, I've told you these things. Persecution, he's talked about all of the things that are coming. I've told you these things in figures of speech. And Jesus is not making a reference to just their their... Uh, the, the teaching being masked or in these weird kind of stories that they can't understand. They've understood everything that Jesus has said so far as figures of speech. There's an obscurity not in his teaching, but in their understanding. Remember, he taught them in parables and explained these parables to the disciples specifically so that they would understand. So he says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus is talking about an hour that's coming after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the church is in full bloom, sharing the gospel, teaching one another. Those are the moments where they're going to understand. And it's not going to be because the teaching is any plainer, but because the Holy Spirit has come to remove the blinders from their eyes. Jesus says, in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. Relationship with Jesus creates relationship with the Father. And he says that you have believed that I came from God. It's faith in Christ alone that restores us to God. That day, he's saying there's going to be a direct relationship. Not not with some human mediator between. And, And Jesus is not even going to physically mediate that relationship. We will be able to go directly to God. Relationship with the Father. And that's possible because of the Gospel. You see that in verse 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Jesus came with mission, purpose. He was coming to the cross. Being raised to life, He then ascended to the Father. He says, now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. That's the Gospel at work. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So all that is coming for them. Listen to how they respond. Verse 29. His disciples said, Ah! Now you're speaking plainly. (laughs) Now you're shooting straight, Jesus. We get it. We understand. All those figures of speech are gone. But they missed it. 
they thought that the problem all along had been the riddles that Jesus was speaking in, or at least that they perceived that he was speaking in. And that's why they've not believed so far. Jesus, we would have believed you if you just stopped speaking in all these riddles. If you just spoken plainly, then we would have understood all of the details where everything could have added up in our little brains. We would have got it. We would have believed you. And now we know and now we believe. Oh, how much we are like these men. In our own fallenness, we want to understand everything that God is doing before we're willing to trust in what God is doing. But we fail to remember that God is God and we're not. I want you to hear this this morning as you think about these disciples. Faith is not born out of our ability to understand everything. But rather out of trust in God even when we don't understand everything. To trust in God is not to be able to flesh out all of the details. It's not to be able to explain why things are happening. It's not to be able to put pieces together. That's what God does. And we have only what amount of revelation and light that God allows us to have to understand the things in our lives today. But there is quite a bit. In fact, there is a whole ocean of stuff that we don't yet understand. And our job is not to understand it all, but to trust in the One who does. So helping them understand somewhat now settles their heart. Jesus actually corrects them in this moment. He rebukes them. He flips the script completely. You remember what their concern is? Their concern is about being alone. And Jesus says, do you now believe? No, here's what's going to happen. Verse 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Did you catch it? He says, yet I'm not alone for the father is with me. But he's he's saying your your concern about being alone. Here's what's actually going to happen. What's actually going to happen is not that you're going to be alone, but you're going to leave me alone. In other words, your faith is not as strong as you think it is. Your strength, your ability to face it, to figure it all out, to muster up the strength to keep going. No, you're going to leave me alone. Isn't that what he said to Peter? You're going to deny me three times. Now he's actually saying it to every single one of the disciples. And he's speaking in the language of Old Testament prophecies. Zechariah 13 and verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Shepherd is a pointer to Jesus. Against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. It's a picture of the coming death of Jesus when all of the disciples would turn away from Him and Jesus would be left physically alone. See, the disciples were severely overconfident. Anybody been there before? 
We wrestle with this problem of being overconfident. Can I tell you this morning that we are 150% dependent on the grace of God. We need God. They would, just as much as the lost ones who did not believe, they would turn away from Jesus and they would abandon Him at the hour of lowest darkness. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we get the greatest promise of these three chapters. The ability to reconcile the good news that Jesus is on His throne with the bad news of the world around us still being broken, we're able to put those things together and say, yes, I get it in this one truth. Verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And he says, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Peace, tribulation, existing at the same time. Possible to have perfect peace in a world of of tribulation, trial, trouble. Two separate spheres, and we're kind of living in both of those spheres. How is that possible? He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's the truth. Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. It is a command or an exhortation followed by a promise. A statement of fact. Reality. It is that theology, Jesus as overcomer, as victor, that drives the ability of believers to take heart. The fundamental ground of peace amidst tribulation is the triumph of Jesus. He's overcome. He has won. The battle is over. And this is the same statement that we get in multiple places in God's Word. We see it again rise up in 1 John and John's book, Revelation. We see it in 1 Corinthians. We see it in chapter 12. It's already been fleshed out for us that Jesus wins. The enemy is defeated. Jesus has overcome. And so we're, said, we're told to take heart. I love that word. It's one word in the Greek. The word translated literally means to have a firmness of purpose in the face. (laughs) A firmness of purpose in the face. In other words, what you believe about Jesus is so down deep in your heart that it can't help but shine on your face. Christians, we got a face problem. We say we believe things down in our hearts that don't show on our faces. And what Jesus says is, no, there ought to be a a firmness in your face that you really believe with all of your heart this firm resoluteness that Jesus has overcome. The Christian can have this confidence. Because the fight 
has already been won. It is a face that doesn't know defeat. A face that only knows victory. All small forms of defeat are are, are a willing sacrifice for the sake of knowing that the battle's already won. And the smile on my face proves it. And the confidence in my face proves it. Because I live every day saying, no, I'm trusting in Jesus. You can say what you want about this world and you can give me every news headline you want. But at the end of the day, Jesus has won and I believe it. Jesus says to take heart and then he uses this word overcome. It is the word nikeo. It means to be a victor or a conqueror. You might know it as the word Nike. Nike stole it. (laughs) The Bible used it first. And it was applied to an athlete, but more than just an athlete who runs gracefully in a race. An athlete who is a warrior. An athlete who understands the stakes. A bleeding warrior who says, I, I am going to win this and there is no possibility of defeat. I'm unwilling to accept that. Brother Curtis, it was a Nick Saban kind of a warrior. Jesus is that warrior greater than any college football coach and any athlete you have ever known because he bled and died on the battlefield for those whom he saved. Because it was not possible. For him to be defeated. We we don't have a puny, wimpy Savior. We have a mighty, victorious warrior. And it's important to note that the word Nikeo here, victor, conqueror, is in the perfect. It's complete. It's finished. It's as good as done. Jesus has overcome. And I want you to notice very carefully. On which side of the cross does Jesus say this? It's the left side of the cross, isn't it? It's before. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. He's not been raised to life yet. He's not ascended to the throne yet. He's not come back on a white horse yet. And yet, teacher, soon to die, Jesus has perfect, completed, overcome. He's already won. This is where I think there is a gaping hole in our theology. Because we live like Jesus won the victory over our sin at the cross, past tense, and he will win the ultimate victory in the world when he returns on the white horse. We don't live like Jesus has won right now. And no matter what our eyes tell us in politics, no matter what our eyes tell us in the culture, no matter what our eyes tell us in our, on our, on our TVs as we watch all of the sinfulness against God, 
no matter what our eyes tell us whenever we face temptation ourselves and battle our own flesh, Jesus has already won fully and completely. He has conquered. What has He conquered? He's conquered the world. I have overcome the world. You've already seen this word, the cosmos. The whole of mankind. That is all in the world that is sinful and hostile against God. This is what is so beautiful. Because there is no sin that exalts itself above God. No sinner that exalts him or herself above God that will be able to stand. Because Jesus has won. Jesus overcomes the world. All of the offense of sin, all of the rebellion of mankind, all of the brokenness of the world, the curse on the earth, everything that was broken when man fell, fell and every sin since, Jesus wins. There is no enemy that can rise up against Him and stand. He is one. Jesus has conquered the world. That means that every threat against the kingdom is pointless and empty and vain. All of the attempt to remove Jesus from our schools is vain. All of the attempt to silence righteousness about sexual standards, God's standard, is vain. All of the attempt to legalize abortion is vain. It's all in vain. It doesn't mean that we should not stand against these things and fight the good fight. But in the end, we are not frantic and panicking. Our faces show what? Firmness. Because Christ has won. So he says, be at peace. Take heart. Have firmness in your face. Because Christ, our victorious warrior, has overcome the world. There will be threat after threat after threat. And they will come violently against you. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. How has Jesus then overcome the world? This is where we need to take that truth and now kind of rewind the tape to what Jesus has said to believers. So I want to go back and flesh this out a little bit more for you. Jesus made some promises about what this looks like before He even said it. How has Jesus overcome the world? The question is answered in three different ways, beginning in verse 27 and 28. It says, for the Father Himself loves you because you've loved Me and have believed that I came from God. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. I've already said this to you. This is a picture from beginning to end. Perhaps maybe in the most concise of ways. A picture of the Gospel. So Jesus has overcome the world through the Gospel. Begin in verse 27. 
The Father sets His love upon us because we love Christ and believe that He came from God. That was a plan set into motion not 2,000 years ago, but before time ever began. God set into eternity what He was going to do to redeem sinners. Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. Our men's group, we're studying Ephesians 1. We'll get back into that this week. If you've not been a part of that uh, this week, some of us will be gone to camp. But dive in. Go to the Harrison home, 7 o'clock Tuesday night. Get into Ephesians 1. You'll hear this. The Gospel began before anything was ever created. And so let's work this back. Verse 28. He says, Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father... And he's leaving the world after coming to the world, specifically being sent by God. Right? So we have a picture here of the incarnation. Jesus, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. He was sent by God, by God the Father, and he was sent for a specific purpose. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. John 3, we've already seen this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave Jesus in order that the world through Jesus might be not condemned, but be saved and have eternal life. And Jesus says now, I'm about to leave and go to the Father. In other words, His purpose is completed. It's done. The work required for salvation is accomplished. And Jesus says, I'm leaving the earth and I'm going to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm being seated on the throne, reigning as king. And then I am going to return, as John 14 says. This is a picture of the gospel. Jesus overcame sin by going to the cross and being raised to life and seated on the throne as king. Jesus overcame death, the wages of our sin, all of us deserving death, by going to the cross and being raised to life and seated on the throne. Jesus overcame hell, our eternal punishment, all of us deserving of it, by going to the cross and being raised to life and seated on the throne. And God Loves you. His everlasting covenant love is set upon your life, believer, because you have loved and trusted in Christ. It's the gospel. It means that nothing can take that away from you. That in the gospel, Jesus overcomes our rebellion our sinful hearts, our hard-heartedness, and He saves us from destruction and eternal damnation. This is the greatest news in all of the world because come what may in this life, we are secured for eternity and there is heaven coming. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that means that the sting of death is gone. The power of sin is the law, the sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. The same word through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus overcame the world, has overcome the world through His Gospel. Secondly, Jesus has overcome the world 
through His church. Jesus has overcome the world through His church. In the middle of verse 25 with me. By the way, before you do, that's not to say that Jesus is doing something in us apart from the Gospel. Because remember, we're saved by Jesus in the Gospel. We're only the church because of what Jesus has done in the Gospel. And it's also not to say that God is somehow now accomplishing His work just through men. Because the Spirit of God is in us. and Jesus is in us. And Jesus is doing His work as He has established His church. He's building His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's Jesus working through us. You got that, right? So here's the verse. Middle of verse 25. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that Say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. That's kind of a weird statement. Jesus has said, I'm not going to ask for you. Why would he say that? Well, he is in, in one sense mediating the relationship, certainly between us and the Father, but it's no longer happening physically, spiritually. We've been given direct access to God. If, if we had time this morning, we could go to Ephesians 2. It talks about what Jesus did, the blood of His cross, removing the separation that was between us and God. Or Hebrews 10 talks about coming into the throne room, directly into the presence of God the Father with boldness because of the blood of Jesus. It's a new relationship with the Father. And it's a relationship that is nurtured through prayer language. Do you see it? We've been, we've been told this in three chapters consecutively. Ask anything in the name of Jesus, and Jesus will do it. Not things that are inconsistent with His will. It's not your wish list. Jesus is not a genie that you can rub on the lamp and get three wishes. But Jesus does things that are according to the will of God for the good of the church, and for the glory of God. And we're told again here in chapter 16. It was in 14, 15, now 16. Ask the Father in My name and Jesus will do it. That's because God has chosen to act through His church. God is unleashing His victory in the world. Pushing back kingdoms of darkness. Pressing the Gospel forward to the ends of the earth through the church, the, the called out ones, the assembly of God's people called to act. I don't know about you, but I don't always understand that. How God could use a flawed and broken people that He's redeemed for His glory. And yet I am so incredibly grateful that God would use me. And God will use you and God is using us to declare His victory in the world. Third, and finally, Jesus has overcome the world by His Spirit. By His Spirit. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. This is where you got to do a little bit of digging. Just kind of rewind back to what we've already seen in John chapter 16. They're going to gain clarity. They're going to better understand things. But why? 
Chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. In other words, as 1 Corinthians 2 says, He's going to be our teacher. The Spirit of God searches the deep things of God and teaches us. So what they're going to come to understand in verse 25 are the things that their eyes have been opened to see. The Spirit of God reveals them. That, by the way, is the whole reason verse 33 says that we can have peace amidst tribulation because the Comforter is coming. And the picture here throughout these three chapters is that Jesus is leaving and He's leaving His presence with us to bring us comfort, to teach us, and to empower us to take hearts, to be resolute, firm in our faces because we have confidence in the victory that is Christ. This is why the command in the passage is not win. It's take heart. The battle's over. The victory is complete. And Jesus has overcome the world by His Spirit. Again, if we had time, and I would encourage you, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about the battle with temptation. That God has given us a way of escape. Galatians 5 talks about the battle with the flesh. And that by His Spirit, He leads us to walk. In ways that honor Him. Or 2 Corinthians 10, when we have a battle against strongholds and ideas and falsehoods and things that would be arguments that would exalt themselves over God, we take every thought captive. Why? Because God by His Spirit has overcome. And so by His Spirit and by His church and by the Gospel, Jesus has overcome and we must take heart. I want to close with this passage. Revelation chapter 12. We just sang this and now we read it. Believer, take heart in these words. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Nikeo, Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, 
because he knows that his time is short. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you need to know this morning that your time is also short. Our time is short. And the great end of all of those who reject the victor is defeat and destruction. But God in His grace has extended to you this very day an opportunity. The opportunity to believe and trust in the One who has been victorious. The One who has extended to you the good news that you can be saved from the wrath that is to come if you trust in the One who came to die for you and was raised again and who is right now seated on the throne. Some of you this morning need to trust in Jesus just like Emma did. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. As others of you this morning need to be reminded that there ought to be a firmness in your face. A confidence as you live for Jesus in this world. Sure, there's tribulation, but Jesus is our peace. And so in just a few moments, I want to invite you to come. Maybe you need to come this morning and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to come to this altar and spend some time with the Lord in prayer, confessing some things to Him, resting in Him. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe there's another decision this morning on your heart. I want to invite you to come. Would you stand with me all across this room? Jesus, You are our conqueror. Our victor. You have overcome the world. And in You, we are more than conquerors. Not because we're able. And not because we have all the answers. Because we've trusted in the One who does. So I pray now, as we trust You, that You would move us to obey You in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You come as we sing this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www southwidebaptist.com We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. <laughs>